Yo, listeners, what's up? Like the intro music to our show? I know you're wondering, like, dang, who is that? Well, that's none other than the bro, Chemo. That's K-H-E-M-O. In a single face off of his 2017 album, The Art of Rap 2, which is on Apple Music, iTunes, and other streaming services. So, go ahead and check him out because he's like that. Now back to the show. The launch pad will begin in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we have a special guest in the building. We take um, Thomas off and upgraded to Zach. Yeah. <laughs> did I spoil it, Kevin? Kevin, did I spoil it? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm first, sorry. I'm sorry. first and foremost, um, prayers to, to, our, to our partner, uh, Thomas. Um, he yeah. could not make it yep, uh, with us yep, tonight. Um, Thomas. Family is first. Um, so shout out to Thomas. Well, don't, um, let I know people, don't let listeners think he's sick though. You gotta like say it's his family. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he's he's uh dealing with a a, a family emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have we have him in our prayers for sure. For sure, um, so, blessings. Yes. Absolutely. And we're gonna get right into it. Uh so uh like I like I told you before, we have a very special guest. Um very special guest. He is the host of the off the glass podcast which uh i can tell you from a you know personal fan that it's like that um when i really mean it's like that it's really like that i I do enjoy all of the content uh that that he uh puts on and uh without further ado i would like to introduce zach what's going on man i didn't want to you know go government so you know, everybody knows you on Twitter by Zach. So yeah. I'm a I'm gonna keep it, I'm gonna keep it, uh I'm gonna keep it in the in the media space. So what's going on, family? No problem, man. It's all good. How are everybody doing tonight, man? Thanks for having me, fellas. Like I said, the the love is real, is mutual. You know, I appreciate it. I think with everything that's going on nowadays, even before all this stuff kind of kicked off, like my whole thing for like in the 19, 20, 20. It's just being positive, encouraging people, whether I know them or not. And, like, for you to reach out to me on Twitter, never seen you in person, never met you, but for you to embrace my content, to say, hey, no matter what you're doing, I'm going to retweet, I'm going to support. Like, it really means a lot. And I just want to say thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, when I heard you guys' this last podcast, I reached out to you while I was listening to it. Like, I'm in nice. – we'll get to that in a minute, but I'm in truck driving school. I'm listening to it while I'm supposed to be doing my – my pre-trip <laughs> learning that, and I'm like, I couldn't put it down. I was like, no, I got to come on with these guys. Like, this is this is good stuff, though. But, um, you know, thanks for, for having me. I, like you said, my name is Zach, the Off the Glass Podcast, basketball podcast mainly, but we're going to get into that in a minute, you, but on, we're switching it up. Let's talk about it. I want to talk about your podcast. Go ahead. Go ahead. So for everybody listening, because I think you have to announce the little thing, I've never met Zach. I don't know Zach until tonight. 
and I think he's awesome. And he did a really good intro, but I don't know enough about you right now. So tell me about the basketball podcast, please. All right. Well, let's let's go in order real quick. So born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, uh, East Side. Uh, people be like, there's no East Side. It's a lake right there. No, it's the East Side. Um, <laughs> born and raised on the East Side. Uh, moved to the suburbs in 93, so that was like seventh grade for me. So, yeah, I'll be 39 and shit, 80s baby. So, y'all um, are young, man. What is going on here? <laughs> some older people than me on the podcast. You man. know what? I'm an old soul, though. You and you, you'll see that real quick. But, um, we moved to the suburbs. Uh, we moved to Flossmoor, Illinois. Um, that high school produced, um, my man. I always blank on his name. And I just Julian Wright that played at Kansas. So that's the name you might remember. Oh, that's uh, my guy. He's in he's in Charlotte now. He had Yeah, listen. he's doing his thing. Like I'm gonna yeah. reach out to him. Um he's doing his thing with his new uh building he opened up with the technology and the training. So Yeah, that's yeah, my he's dog. a little bit he's a little bit younger than me, but we went to that's the same high school that I went to. TJ Cummins, Terry Cummins son. Uh he's a year behind me. Um, so that basketball conference, just so so people could know the listeners, that was like uh, at that time Thornton, Thornwood. So you talking about Eddie Curry when he was in high school? Um, Thornton going back a few years. That's when they had like Antoine Randall that played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Ty Streets was on that team that played with the 49ers. Now he runs Mean Streets, one of the top AAU programs in the country. So a lot of good basketball too in the suburbs. That's one thing about Chicago in general. Um, but then from there, went to Division One, JUCO, Northeast Nebraska. Then from there, I played two years at Division Three, Benedictine University out in Lyle, Illinois, in the western suburbs. Had an ABA career, PBL, IBL, uh, played in Finland, and played a little bit in Poland, so I had a brief little stint. And then as far as the podcast goes, you know, I got to say this is all my wife. I always shout out on the podcast because without her, it would be no me just being honest. She was like, I, one day I was complaining about somebody had said something stupid on TV in one of them games. I'm like, man, what do these dudes be talking about? And she was like, babe, you should just start a podcast. And I was like, all right, okay. So I started watching a bunch of YouTube because I had been listening to podcasts, to be honest with you. I was early to the party, like 2007, 2008. Because when I was playing ball, especially when I was overseas, that was my way to kind of keep up with what was going on in the league. So I've been listening for a while. So I just started watching a bunch of YouTube uh, videos and honing my craft and just reaching out to people, trying to get interviews. And then, you know, three years later, you know, we, we moving in a great direction. I had have, I have some really nice things brewing before uh, COVID had hit. I'm um, not mm-hmm. saying it's off the table, but, you know, things kind of came to a standstill. And then, um, you know, now the fact that we're going to get into that as well, because, you know, uh, I switched jobs. I left my career in law enforcement that I had for five years. So initially, to answer your question, um, I forgot um, who am I talking to? (laughs) (laughs) Dwight. Yeah. Dwight, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I ain't gonna lie, I'm bad with names, so just don't don't take it personal, Dwight. I never so, take anything personal. <laughs> so when I started Dwight, I didn't have the courage to talk about everything because I was in law enforcement, so I played it safe and went with basketball. Now in retrospect, I wish I'd have named it different, so I don't seem pigeonholed, but we'll figure that out as we go. But that's how I came up with the Off the Glass podcast. Originally, it was just basketball. 
And then when things would happen, I would sprinkle in my social side because I have a degree in history and a minor in social science. So, like, I'm an avid reader. You know, my wife, political science major, master's in political science, the whole nine. So I can do that side, too. But it was one of those situations just being nervous. You know, you got a job, the type of job I'm doing. I don't want to say too much, you know. So now that we done with that, you know, it's time to, to go ahead and diversify the, the content, to be honest with you. Well, you could do like ESPN. They have multiples. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They don't have yeah. just one thing. Like, you know, what I think is great about the NBA now, if you were to take a page out of the NBA's book, is that those cats, they diversify all the time. They don't have right. just one thing. So right. if you have people that listen to you for one thing, you have all the headspace to advertise for the other that's a fact that's a fact yeah do both man i'd love to hear the other one too because yeah I that's and what we're gonna get today because yeah, yeah. That we're scared too like i i mean maybe not kevin maybe not thomas i i started out really watching where i was going and then mm. the last podcast i couldn't anymore mm. because what I see is different than what Kevin and Thomas see because of age mm. and because of maybe experience too, because they're both from South Carolina. I'm not. So I think having that nervousness will make you say the words correctly and think about what you're saying more. Right. That doesn't, the message will still be there for sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's, a certain way that I may dialogue with a friend or with my wife versus when I come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thing is not to be overly embraceive, abrasive, or to just be hot takeish. Like that was my whole thing, even with the basketball side. You know, my mission statement is to bring a fresh, thought-provoking perspective to the game of basketball. So, like, I'm more like a teacher when it comes to basketball, just in general. Like, I want people to have the truth, not the facts, because facts are can be lies. Facts can just be things that we agreed on, right? Like, we've all agreed that Christopher Columbus discovered America, but we know that's not true. That's the right. fact, though. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I always try to approach it from that <laughs> standpoint. And like to me, I was taught you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. You know what I mean? Like, it's easier so, to, to kind of, like, make your point. You know, seriously, like make your point, you know, be firm with it. But yeah. yeah. Well, I agree with that. I do think you get more bees with honey, but I do feel like the debate is starting to need to be had, right? Of course. So, like, I have a friend that I know I disagree with on everything. Everything. <laughs> uh huh. Like, it's, it's a white dude. He's cool as shit. However, that's kind of the extent of it. But he right. loves to debate me on politics. So mm. when things occur, we debate him. I'll give you an example. He sent me a meme with an Asian baby and a white baby. And over the white Asian baby, it said, you can't blame this child for Pearl Harbor. And on the white baby, it said, you can't blame this baby for slavery. Interesting. And he was like, how do you feel about that? Like, tell me about it. And I, you know, I said, that's the dumbest shit I ever seen. <laughs> like, In true I, Dwight I, fashion. <laughs> I know you were expecting something bigger, but that's the answer. 
I said, I said, you know what? That's the that's the exact same thing as me saying I'm gonna boycott Fourth of July this year because all countries should be, all countries matter. Right, right. But see, that goes to a bigger point that we I talked about in my last podcast with uh, Dr. Johnson and the whole idea of this idea of white privilege, right, and mm-hmm. being comfortable to even present that to you and not no, see no, no, anything that, wrong with it. No, 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 no. That's our relationship. That's, oh, that's y'all relationship. Yeah, but, okay, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, you yeah, and him. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, now, yeah, I just no. want to make sure. I want to make sure yeah. I understood that. Okay, no, I got you. So okay. I, I gave him free space to ask me stuff because he's okay. so, he has no experience with black people at all. None. Got you. Okay. Okay. I, before you go into a situation where you get your ass beat, talk to me because you're a cool dude, but don't go out here saying shit and get fucked up. But I agree with you to the picture that that is stupid. It's that is stupid. Yeah. It is. There's nothing. There's no other way to respond to that. I mean, no, it is. There's no smart words. It's just stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it you can is. Debate it. There's a million reasons, but you're gonna come back to it's stupid. So let me ask you this: We were talking about we. So I don't know if it's been on the podcast or not, Kevin. But Kevin talks about you a lot, and what I think is fascinating for me tonight is that you do come off as awesome, right? Which right. Kevin says. So you, you, he set the bar really high for you and you topped it, which is dope. <laughs> but he never talked about really what your podcast was about in terms of basketball. He always talked about it in terms of your deep awareness of the cultural situation that he's finding himself in. And he's very frustrated. You know what I mean? Right. So what would be interesting to me is to talk a little bit about what's going on right now from your perspective as a former police officer. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. As a police officer, what do you feel when you're going out there for these type of situations? Man, I'll give you a, a story that kind of sums it up in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So I was on duty. I had to work. I want to say the day after or two days after Man, Fidel, Fiando Castile had just got murdered, and Alton Sterling just got murdered. Mm. And it was hard to put that uniform on that day because I think until from this standpoint, and I hope people when they hear this understand what I'm saying and have some perspective. From this standpoint, until you really do the job, you don't fully understand everything that goes into just doing the job. Like if it was no racism. Like the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, just doing the job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Skip all the other nonsense, the the, the bullshit, you know, the bullshit they be doing, everything, just doing the job. So for me, knowing what it takes to do the job, when I would see these calls where these black men would end up dead, it would make me even more enraged because I know mm-hmm. the training now and I know how, things can go about and how you should be able supposed to handle yourself and conduct yourself. So on that day I was battling. It was an emotional day. I kind of stayed to myself. We was one unit cars anyway. I didn't ride with a partner and we responded to a call on 53rd in Lake Park. Now this made the news the other day because of the rise and the protests and whatever. And it was a guy that had a bunch of tattoos on his face and he thought that he was the son of Barack Obama and he was dead serious. So he's very agitated, very violent. 
Now, at the time, I have just completed my CIT training. So we'll get into that in a minute. That's crisis intervention training, which yeah. everybody should have across the board in law enforcement. It's literally a whole week where you deal with learning how to deal with mentally, our mentally ill in our public. So, so literally, you don't it's like have a, to do that now? Every I don't know does. about every department. I know the city of Chicago is mandatory going back three For years everybody. now. So, yeah, so they're coming out of the academy in Chicago with it. Even though I didn't work for the city of Chicago, I worked for a department in, in the city. I went to their academy, but I had to go back and get this training. Fabulous training. I think regular everyday people should have this training, just being honest with you. Um, it takes you from like intro to psychology with a real psychologist there that works for NAMI, one, you know, the largest like psych um, organization in the country. Um, we have people with mental illness come in, tell us their stories, their families. Wait, 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 wait. You're grazing over stuff that's awesome. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, wait, they bring in mentally ill people and, like, have you yeah. interact with them? Yeah, they tell they Dude, I was in tears at a couple of these stories about how really? they grew up with it. Oh, bro, like, it was, it was amazing. To me, as an officer, and I'm glad they made it mandatory because it helped me out not just dealing with uh, the mentally ill, it helped me even further get better at de-escalation because I would use the same tactics that they taught us to deal with mentally ill people to deal with quote-unquote normal people in society when I have calls. But it was that real. We would role play with them, you know, everything. Really? It was like, a, yeah, it was a 40-hour It was a forty hour class. We had it that whole week. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. Wow. So that's why part of me, too, will say things like when people are like, what are you saying? It's not always the training. You know, you get a lot of these major departments, not a small department, different story, different types of funding. But yeah, these major departments, yeah. major departments, no, they're getting some of the best training. They're not in there teaching you to do nothing you shouldn't be doing. Now, sometimes the conversations don't be appropriate. But as far as tactics and training, like, no, nobody's in there teaching you to put your knee in somebody's neck. Like, they're not teaching you to do that. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, that yeah, you heard right. Wait, wait, wait. You heard right. So you're telling me that's not a move? I thought it had a name, like suplex or maybe 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 certain departments, because what I've learned in a lot of this when this stuff happens, and it shows you again, big picture, we're a country made up of fifty small countries, right? So every state is kind of different. So that means right. every department is kind of different. But if they do it. They're going to do it in Chicago because that's the murder capital of the country. No, but the way you're trained. So I, the George Floyd situation. So, oh, let me complete this story, though. So right. we, you, we do the CIT training, right? So mm -hmm. CIT is all about just time, developing a relationship, because the person's mentally ill. He's all over the place. So every time we bring this guy down, and we're getting ready to put him in a squad car so we can take him to the hospital so we can do an involuntary admission, get him some help. Mm -hmm. People are all around us taking pictures, filming us, recording us, saying anything. You, you don't have to talk to them. You can get a lawyer. And I'm telling them, like, I feel you. they like, no, nah, you just trying to, you this, you that, you Uncle Tom, and, you know, just doing all. I'm like, hey, sis, like, this is not what you think this is. Like, I understand why you mad. But seriously, I'm going to need you to step back. Like, this, this man is in crisis. I'm going to need you to step back. So finally, I had to just get nasty with her. And then she finally backed up. We could keep going with the guy. What saved us, I like to say, my ancestors, was that the paramedics finally pull up. 
The paramedic jumped out. The guy was like, oh, hey, man, what's up? What's going on? All right, I'll go with him. And the paramedic looking like, and I could tell he confused. I'm like, man, just play along with it. And the paramedic, I asked him afterwards, I'm like, you don't know him, do you? He said, man, I never seen him a day in my life. But we was able to get that situation calm, get him in the, in the ambulance, get him to the hospital so he can get some psych help. But that was an example of, to your point, of how hard it was to have to navigate that and then come out and have to do service. Understand why the crowd is mad, but still at the same time, I can't get mad at the crowd, even though I need them to be quiet so I can cop, you know, uh, do my job. And that was some of the toughest things on a day-to-day basis when some of this stuff would happen. I knew when it came to work, I was going to have to deal with it. And where I worked at, they were always protesting something anyway. So I had to deal with all of that <laughs> all the time. You know, so it's it's a whole, you know, can of so, worms into a, in, in itself. I, I'm try- the hardest part about doing this right now because you're the first guest we've had on is the story is a mate like I I've always wondered how cops felt before like right before they put the uniform on right like yeah when you're a black dude driving into a building. Yeah. Before you put the uniform on and come out, because that seems like it would have to be a mental transition in your head every day. Like once I put this uniform on, this is my job, you know, but when you're out in the world in your neighborhood, cutting the grass and people drive by, you're just a black dude cutting his grass. So you have to deal with the same stuff outside and then be on the other side at work. Is that how it feels? I mean, that's exactly how it feels because where I worked at, I worked on the Southeast side. So if you do your research, people that's listening, because I don't want to get the name of the department, you'll figure out it's a major university. It's called the Harvard of the Midwest. So you just do your math and figure it out. But what made this place unique out of all the universities in the, in the country that's private, it's the only one where the police department has full police powers outside of what's called the Clary area which is your main area around campus. And what made this place even more unique, the patrol area was almost 30 blocks long. So you're talking 37th Street to 65th Street, Cottage Grove to Lakefront. Huge. Two Chicago police districts, the department patrol. What also makes this area unique, Barack Obama's house is right there on 51st and Greenwood. Two blocks over is one of the most dangerous gangs in our city on the south side. I'm not going to say their name. We ain't going to give them no love, but they literally two blocks over. So while you're dealing with literally houses where Muhammad Ali house is, where Farrakhan and them, the nation, Elijah Muhammad, they house is still there. Wow. Uh, other jazz people, because we're talking Bronzeville now on the south side. So mm-hmm. like you're talking about black, the heart of black culture in Chicago besides the west side. So gotcha. you're talking about million dollar homes, poverty two blocks over, few blocks over, gang wars on north and south and west of us, and then all those factions in that whole area, whether they were in our jurisdiction or not, in some form or fashion, are into it with the guys on our side. And some of those factions made famous through drill rap. So, yeah, I'm two block, I'm like six blocks over from Old Block, Chief Keith in them area. So that's that whole area right there, dealing with that directly. Gotcha. So you're dealing with that, right? So I have to – one thing about Chicago – pockets right so i lived in a good area decent pocket but i'm surrounded by violence so i had to come to work get off the expressway and go through these areas just to get to work 
So one day, I'm on my way to work. This is before I got rid of my car. I had a charger at the time. I got pulled over by CPD. I already knew why he was pulling me over. So they come up, do the rigmarole, and I always sit there and see how far they're going to take it. And then because I, that day I was almost late for work, I showed him my badge. And he was like, well, why didn't you just show that at the beginning? I was like, well, why should I have to? Mm-hmm. And he gave me, a, he's like, you can go on, you know, he's like, all right, go ahead. Funny thing later, one the same night, might have been two days later, maybe that weekend, because I think it was during the week. I saw them same two dudes on the call that we showed up together for a robbery. And then he wanted to try to say something. And I told him to get that off my face. Like mm-hmm. you knew what you was on. He was on some, on some garbage. So to your point, yeah. When you got that uniform on or you got that badge in your hand, yeah, you one of them. But when you take that badge off, you go back to being a regular black dude, seen in another light. So yeah. for me, when I did the job, sometimes, I ain't going to lie, I would overly compensate when I would come in contact with black people. So I had a proper understanding of what really goes on. I had a proper understanding of why this community is how it is and why the behavior is the way it is. So I was always more fair. And in some cases I probably should have been, but I was stern and respectful. So if I knew these guys, cause you get to see the same people like, okay, y'all out here hanging out, y'all selling loose cigarettes, might sell some weed, whatever. We get a call. Hey, I'm gonna need y'all to move around. So I got to come back over here. We're going to start running names. We're going to see who got warrants. We're going to jail. They'd be like, all right, big homie, you got it. No problem. They'll move around. So, like, I would take that into my policing as well. So, for me doing the job, I ain't going to say it was hard to do the job from that standpoint, but to your point, taking that uniform off and put it on, it is a different, it is a different ball game. Ooh. That, like, listen, that was a lot, okay? <laughs> and you you know me, Zach. I'm, I'm the type. I'm like a sponge. So, yeah. I'm going to listen. And Dwight knows this, too. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take everything in. And you know, Man, my brain is exploding. Like that was that was deep, Zach. And you basically answered kind of like the majority of the questions that we were going to ask you. You know, from from a perspective of how you feel, not um, only as a former police officer, but also as a black man. Like you gave us the entire, you gave us the entire repertoire of who you were as a law enforcement officer and at the same time who you are as a black man and that's that to me is more intriguing than anything that I've learned like in the past two or three weeks seriously yeah you know um so yeah that was interesting that my my question um and once again shout out to thomas because this is actually his question but um you know we talk about uh the the police unions and when (laughs) things like this happen you know with the with george floyd and now most recently um what happened in atlanta on on uh friday night early saturday morning uh with um uh uh, now I'm drawing a blank. Um, I can't get his name. Uh, you know why you drawing a blank? Because there's too many names to keep up with, bro. Yeah. At this point, that's that's uh, what's, yeah, that's I what agree. I come to the conclusion with. There's just I, too many names. There's too many names to keep up with. The fact you're trying to remember is awesome. Yeah, and bro. I'm and I'm really trying to remember remember his name because I, I see his face 
And you know where I see his face? I see his face in an interview where he's talking about how hard it is to get back into a, a normal life after being in the system. And he was in the system for credit card fraud. Nothing violent from what, I, from what I've learned and what I've educated myself on in, in, his, in his prior uh, situations with, with the law. It was credit card fraud. And it was, he was talking about how hard it was to get back into society because now society sees him as just a convict. They yep. don't care what he did. Yep. They just see him as a convict. And yep. it's, jo- jobs won't give here? him. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. It broke up for a second. You said because society sees him as just a convict. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the opportunities that he's trying to, he's trying to better himself, but society isn't giving him that chance. And we've seen this a lot. We've seen this for, for years and years. We can, we can bring up soul food, the movie soul food when yep. Lim is trying to get back into society and he checks the box that he's a convict and all the guy can say is we'll call you. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, from what and going just going back to my question um so my question is is in regards to the to the police unions and um and i'm going right into uh what you experienced um so what role do they play or try to play in pushing change and the racial implications that it that 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 is on the that is on the force because you know if if we see it, a cycle of this that something something tells me that well maybe they aren't doing good enough I could, or they're not I could aren't start, doing anything I could at stop all. you right there because I already know where you're going police unions in this country are some of the most powerful unions in the country right some of the most powerful I can't speak to everybody's union. I don't like, you know, I don't like making generalizations, but what I can say and what I can tell from the culture, cause I just know the inside. I know from going to trainings and being around different guys and different officers, it's supposedly mainly white officers. They're not pushing for anything. A lot of time when things come down from on high, whether it's a politician, whether it's in the city of Chicago, that'd be like the superintendent, the mayor, um, the aldermen's pushing for things, or even in the department I was in, if it's coming down from the board of trustees, the chief, usually you have to run with it. And nine times out of 10, whatever the new policies are, the officer not going to like it. Because for them, it's all about the blue. It's all about us versus them. It's all about y'all don't understand. Y'all making it harder for us to do our job. It's, It's all of that. So to be honest with you, I don't think they play a role, an active role in it at all. I think it's just the opposite. Because I remember when the body camera came out, people was fighting that tooth and nail. They did not want those body cameras. They did not want them. And the city pushed it off as long as they could. Now, to be fair, part of the reason why the city of Chicago pushed it off, I could speak to that because they were trying to figure out how they were going to pay for it because you have to find, you have to have a a cloud like we do for our regular phones and stuff to store all this footage and who's going to pay for that, what budget, tax money, like that's millions of dollars. So it was a a financial side to it, but it was mainly like, no, we don't want to wear these cameras. So that's an example. I mean, what was, what kind of answer did you think was going to happen? Because 
why would we imagine in our heart of hearts anything different? Right. 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 And then depending on... I'm asking if you have a company, let's just say you have a company, period. Mm-hmm. You have a budget every year that you have to spend or you lose it. Yep. How body cams and the storage of that over time, because then you got to set regulations on when you can cut it off, when you can cut it on, do you do the bathroom, do you not do the bathroom, do you store it for five years, seven years, 10 years? That's just going to eat into your budget every year because it's going to get bigger yep. and bigger. Yep. And the mm-hmm. more people you get, the more cameras you have. I mean, there's, listen, man. Then you have to upgrade them. Mind you, the yeah, department right. I work for, exactly. we had them before the city did. Like, we we had them first. Before I left, we was already on the second model. So we didn't have the first model. And then when they first ran out, rolled out to your point. You know, how do we use them? When do you keep them on? When do you don't keep them on? You know, how, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a trick to that. And then even... The public, when tapes will get released, well, why is it no sound? And I'll be mad because I'm like, why don't y'all just tell the truth sometimes? Because sometimes I feel like they didn't do themselves any favors. There's no sound because it's a 30-second delay. The camera's always recording when it's on. But if you don't press record, it erases, and then it's a new 30 seconds. So when you have a call that happens super fast, and you're recording or you run up on something, you're not going to have sound right away. That's just the way the technology works. But I shared this on another on, a, on another platform. I hated the camera from this standpoint, right? So imagine you're somebody that does your job, right? You're not violating nobody's civil rights. You're doing your job. Let's say you work in an area where drugs, so you're coming across a lot of drug addicts. I used to come across a lot of addicts. Those are the guys that will be stealing bikes, uh, burglaries, thefts out of Target, stuff like that. So let's say we had a guy one time break into a car. I catch him. We get the stuff back. Not a serious charge like that. It would have been theft to a motor vehicle. So it's not even a felony. But when I go to search him, because now we're taking him into custody, I find pills. I find out, find later, which was heroin. I found crack. So now all those charges got added up to right. what was just a simple breaking into a car. Now, I could say this because I don't work there no more. It will be times if I came across somebody with some weed or something small. All right, we're going to do what we're going to do. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to throw it away. I ain't going to jam you up on that. You know what I'm saying? But now, because right. the camera's on, I can't do that because everything yeah. is being recorded. So for somebody like me, I get it. I'm not complaining. I understand it because in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, we need the camera to document this stuff. But then part of me is like, do we need the camera? Because we having it on camera and we still can't get justice. <laughs> so it's like, what, what, right. what is the point for the camera anyway? But that was something I shared with somebody that I don't think people thought about. Like if you're somebody out here and you working in a certain area and you want to cut people breaks, you can't even cut breaks no more because now everything's being recorded. You know, wow. I've got two buddies of mine that are police officers, right? One's a detective. Mm-hmm. In, in the child unit, whatever that's called, right? And then one was like a beat cop type of cop, right? Where he had an area mm-hmm. in Maryland or D.C. that he used to, he's always being car chases. That's what I remember about him the most. Like, how many car chases, motherfucker? Like, every Saturday, you damn got a video <laughs> chasing a car. Like, how the fuck, where is this happening? But the one thing I noticed is that when I don't know any cops and I don't 
hear the perspective. When I finally do, I see it totally different. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Right. Like, like I can't say like, oh, now I like cops because that. I mean, I just am bred different. Different. Like, I just haven't had those great experiences. I haven't but, either. <laughs> yeah, but like when you say, I know I'm not trying to jam people up, man, that makes me appreciate you sacrifices yeah yeah, that you made or that cops like you are making for let's say a kid like me who might be making a mistake as a young kid that doesn't need his whole future fucked up like it's not me people that'll do that and so you know it sounds like the hardest thing to ever deal with in your whole lifetime but man if nobody else said they appreciate that shit like, I'll tell you from the dudes that you didn't jam up, they probably are really thankful because. No, I've had those come back and appreciate. It was a guy, young knucklehead, um, that we had stopped. His buddies had just robbed somebody, but he didn't get identified, so he skated. We arrested two other guys, and one was like six, 17, so he was technically a juvenile. And I would see him all the time, and he just had so much attitude. He was angry. I remember one night he got into it with an off-duty corrections officer and we intervened and I said, you know what? I'm going to take you home. So I took him home so he wouldn't even get into trouble, come back to work because I was off the next few days. The same day I took him home, he comes back on campus, breaks into the library and steals some laptops, something silly. Now, luckily, he didn't get jammed up from that. And now I've seen him. He working a job. He called me. You know, he thanked me for that, you know, looking out for him. Because truth be told, even in Chicago, yeah, I used to deal with adults. But the sad part, to be honest with you, I used to deal with the, the juveniles, the teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm used to deal yeah. with them more than I used to even deal with adults. And then that was hard because this generation is just different. I understand why, you know, it's just different. But they'd be super disrespectful, super disrespectful, you know, to the point where, you know, you be wanting to put hands on them because, like, I wasn't raised like that, and it's like, but now I got this badge on. But the situation, that'd be an example where, yeah, I would go out of my way to try to tell them and catch them early because, to your point, to the um, to the, to the the brother that lost his life in Atlanta, mm-hmm. once you get in that system, the way it's set up, it's a trick. It's a game. I'm not saying it's impossible, but if you're not going to change your environment, like, for example, if I'm arresting a, a, a child, a teenager for a robbery and then calling the parents and nobody either answering or the mom saying I ain't coming to get him, and then I got to still take him home after that, that child not going to make that situation. He's going to look at it as I'm getting off. I'm not even going to jail because in Chicago, if you're a juvenile, even major crimes, you got to have so many points before you even go to juvenile jail. Nine times out of ten, you're getting booked and you're going home. So, like, what message is that sending to that child when his home life is not even screwed up? So I used to go above and beyond to try to talk to these shorties like, hey, I'm not saying your situation is perfect. I'm not even trying to act like I understand because I won the parents' lottery. I have both my parents. I still do. So I'm not even trying to judge you or put that on you. I'm just telling you, dude, if you go down this road, this is what's waiting for you. Mm. And I'm being honest. I don't necessarily have all the answers for you anyway. But I'm here to talk to you, whatever. But I'm telling you, what you're doing right now, bro, this is not the route. And some of them, a couple listen, but a lot of them didn't. Because how do you escape that environment? So, you know, the police thing, like I said, for me, it was just wearing on me too much. 
Um, then dealing with it as a regular job, having to take orders, having my own little experiences within the department. When I, and to be honest with you, which is crazy to even say this out loud, the department I worked for was better than most. Like people that would get suspended or not even in trouble for other that stuff, some of the stuff in my department, at other departments, they would get fired where I worked at. So like it kept a lot of stuff in check as far as accountability, but I had my own situations. You think that was, you think that was because you were by the university? That and I think the type of people we had, we had real, like our main person that writes the general orders. So that's like the rules of what the department can do Mm. was like a real, like, like anal dude. Like, Mm. like he fired a captain that was there for over 10 years, you know, and he shouldn't have gotten fired. But with that being said, I still dealt with what I felt like was some racism there. I know black officers that dealt with racism there. You know, it goes on. So when people say stuff like, why aren't y'all speaking up? Shoot, I have spoken up. I've gotten suspended for speaking up. You know, and then it's like, okay, well, y'all should just quit. Well, that's not proper perspective anyway, because some of us have kids. Some of us have bills. A lot of people don't have that kind of courage. You can't just walk away from a job. Yeah. Like it's you not can't. that simple. Like how people think simple. it is. It's, whoever, it's a complicated situation. Whoever said that's an idiot. Like, but this, you be, people say that all yeah, the time. They be no, like, you'll, Dwight, you'll be surprised because I'm on Twitter every day and I got, I got to see that every day and I'm, I'm reading it every day. Are you reading that all the black cops should quit? Yes. Yeah. Like, like yeah. we sell out. We did. Like, how can you do this job? And I be trying to tell people like. At the end of the day, and it's a whole nother situation, subject, but the problem is, the problem is a lot of it is, let's just be honest, you got people who don't look like you, who don't know your culture, don't come from where you're from, policing your area. Right. Yeah, so telling you to quit is not the answer. No, that's not the answer, but then the issue is the people who are on high might look like you, but then at the same time, they don't necessarily be able to pull no strings depending on what the politicians look like in that city. Exactly. And how strong is that police union to your question? Who's it? Who's the president of that union? Who is right. he connected to? Yeah, but right. that's you know, why it's segregation like, was so messed up because we, we had it and we lost it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm one of those people that believe that big picture us uh, integrating, like Martin, uh, Dr. King said, he integrated people into a burning house. I really believe that because what we lost and what we gave up, the most important thing was our organization, our sense of unity, right. and our sense of community. Right. And now we just have hoods. We don't even have communities like that no more, by and large. We just have hoods, and everybody else is scattered out all over the place. I, trying can, to see, I can see what he was trying to do. Yes. I, I don't think anybody really talked to him about the economic part of what he No, was he did, though. Towards the end, see, yeah. this is the but dirty secret, bro. That's why he when got, he shot, got Exactly. When he started yeah. talking economics and him and Malcolm and then even the Kennedys a little Malcolm, bit from that standpoint, it's like, no. Nah, when you start talking what, about yeah. that, it was cool to march for civil rights and all that. Cause that was a trick anyway. But once you start talking about that money, King got up out of here. He had to yeah. get up out of here. Yeah, He had to I get got, up out of here. But I got a text today. I want I, this. I love this. I love talking to y'all, man. I, I, <laughs> I was so fucked up earlier. I'm so now. This is fun. All right, so I'm gonna read a text. Uh, I got the text about Martin Luther King. 
Um, here it is. African-Americans should not just march on Washington for policy and criminal justice. That's easy. They're doing that now. The march should be for economic equality and reparations. Sharpton is wanting to sell out for the cheap while trying to gain political influence. He didn't have it when Obama was president. He's most likely being funded by whites to keep us in our place. Martin Luther King was planning to march on Washington again for economics, and that's why he was murdered. Yep, that's part yep. of it. Yep. No question about it. And, like, I'm looking at the questions you send me, like, you know, that kind of goes into that whole defunding the police and dispersing that money. You know, it, it needs to be done. Um, but then again, even with all these donations come in, as usual, it's the same group. Why aren't mm-hmm. the grassroots organizations getting it? The people who got boots on the ground who's right there in the community, why can't they get a bag? Because that's where the change really can be affected. You know, that's why I, I'm sitting back and just kind of watching all this and people just throwing around things and saying things from defund the police and get rid of the Like, people were trying to tell me on Twitter, and you might have saw this, uh, Kevin, that one night, about how they needed more social workers. Like, we don't right. need police. And I'm thinking, like, like what city do some of these people live in? Like, even, like, they talking about sending them to neighbor disagreements and stuff like this. I'm thinking, like, man, like, <laughs> some of the calls I've been on, like, okay, we could have the social workers there after we get the place kind of secured and, you know, they can help de-escalate. But if you think you're going to just send social workers in to solve problems in, in Chicago alone, like, it's, it's way deeper than that. I mean, when the one thing that got lost, and I want to put this out here, when that looting took place, that Saturday and Sunday, Sunday in Chicago, in a 24-hour span, fellas, 18 people got killed. In a 24-hour span, that weekend alone, close to 96 people were shot and like 27 were murdered from Friday to Sunday. From Friday to Sunday. And then it still hasn't, it hasn't slowed down for real. And this is normal for Chicago. This is normal. That's why I take offense to people I've seen make money off of the backs of that culture and people like really losing their lives and using it as a, a political football to talk about guns and all this other stuff. And it's like, man, that, that's what's going, it's going down for real in Chicago and our city, for real. And, like, to your point, the reparations piece has been long overdue because, to me, even with politics, it's only going to work so far. You know, the great black economist, Dr. Claude Anderson, was like, we got it all backwards. Like, you can't really talk politics or even change in law enforcement if you don't have any, any capital, if you don't have any well, economics. You like, you don't have a seat either. at that table. Yeah. You, you can't. That's yeah. what you we can't. Ta- Man, we talked about that exact thing. You can't. Yeah. I, I was debating a dude the other day that was like, Republicans are going to start reaching out to try to get us to go Republican. And I was like, we need to first start our own party so that we can manage our own economics. Until we have our own party, we'll never be respected. We were just, they're just saying what they need to say and then doing what they want to do. Like, you can't have right. two and then conversations. You can't. I mean, let's be honest like this, too. Like, how many of us are, like, one way or the other, just in normal everyday life? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not even realistic, right? right? And then on the flip side, if we just look at the history of the parties, 
Like, it's all cloak and dagger. It's all mysterious. So, on one hand, we see what the guy, I don't even like saying his name. We can see what the guy in office is doing right now. Like, that's blatantly obvious. Like, he's a blatant racist, what they're trying to do, right? But then our answer is the other guy who helped sign the crime bill that ushered in three strikes and mass incarceration, which I did my senior thesis on. Right. So, and then he's aligned with other people that if you do the research. So, you know, here we are with the less of the two evils argument, you know, and then it's like on the flip side, I'm in a democratic type state where the way they handled COVID, handled COVID, it was no common sense. Super lock, like stuff just super locked down. You couldn't do this. You do couldn't do that. And then, but then you look at some of the other Republican states. I'm not saying they got it right, but then certain things like when I was transitioning, right, Illinois just closed all the DMVs. So if you want to go be a truck driver, which, believe it or not, Illinois is an essential job because they're moving the product. Mm-hmm. I can't even go test for my permit. But if I called around like I did to other states that were mainly Republican states, yeah, they might have shut down the DMV, but you can come in and get a, a permit because we need y'all to go to work. We need some more drivers, stuff like that. So it's like with the to your point to the third party thing, I definitely think something is needed because our choices are terrible. Yeah. And I was taught that I don't care if it's 90 percent rat poison or 10 percent. It's still rat poison. It's going to kill you. And like as a black person at this time, it's kind of like, man. Who, who are we really going to ride with? Who are we really going to ride with in this next election? It's going to be fascinating to see how all this plays out because I don't like both of both candidates. Well, I, I will t- I will second that emotion and then offer you this. When have you ever liked a candidate for president? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So if, yeah. if never is your answer... The only answer to that is to have your own party. And the only way to right. get your own party is to get your economics together. Because yep. there is nothing else. Like there yeah. there we're at a place right now where we, we've been marching since we were free. I mean, this is Juneteenth today. We've been marching since the first one. You know, yep. and they and they stopped that, right? They stopped all that. Don't you know, they're rioting. No, they're not. It's Juneteenth. We just didn't know. You know, yep. and until we get our politics together with our economics and join them, we're, it's never going to matter. Like, it's never. No, gonna... and because again, you talking about when we talked about you know the system of racism, you know, sort of being systemic, and even back to the law enforcement piece, all this stuff that they're saying sounds cute and stuff, but I don't think it's reality. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen because again. Unless you start, the only thing I like, and I heard this in Illinois being proposed, and actually uh, Baba Dick Gregory proposed this on a video like six years ago. I remember seeing it about how you make police officers get licensed. So, like, every time you get an offense or things happen, it go against that license. Mm-hmm. You do too much stuff, you lose that license. You can't work. The only way you can make people change their behavior, most people, is through accountability, and that's what? Through punishment. Right. With certain, and if you're not going to do that, then all this is, you know, I laugh at the training, right? Like, let's take the the two calls that happened that's publicized right now. We'll we'll go with George Floyd. First of all, you'd be surprised how many people are walking around with fake money. 
I'm not going to say I had a lot of calls, like that was my most popular, but I've been on a few calls when people were passing fake money. One time, yeah, she definitely was on some, on some garbage, right? But I don't know how it works in every state, but I'm assuming it's somehow the same. First of all, the police shouldn't even be involved in that because you know who handles the money? The Secret Service. They don't just guard the president. Their main thing is the money. So anytime you, as a law enforcement, when you come across fake money, you confiscate the money, you call the Secret Service. The, the, the university I worked at, they had a, we had detectives as well. That's how big this department was. So we even had our own detectives. They will call the Secret Service. They'll read the serial number on the money. They do whatever they're going to do on their end. They'll let you know, hey, we're going to come grab it or don't even worry about it. But meantime, between time, if the person is not being charged with any other separate crime, you take down their information and you let them go. Now, that's, that's what counterfeit money. Now, if we look at the George Floyd situation, the apprehension, right? Department I work for, no chokeholds, no knee to the neck. But what we were trained to do is the knee to the top of the upper back or right of the spine to mobilize the spine when somebody's fighting so you can cuff them, be done with them. I shared this story on another podcast. We had a situation with a guy in front of a coffee shop fighting people with a shovel. We chase him down. He's trying to fight us with the shovel. One of my partners, when we go to affect the arrest, we get him to the ground. And I had to tell people that too. We had to get him to the ground because we had to control him. Nobody was trying to hurt this man or anything like that. We had to get him to the ground. But in the midst of us trying to affect the arrest, my partner, partner's knee slid on his neck. So I looked, my other guy saw it. He was like, hey, Cap, move your knee, move your knee, move your knee. You're on his neck, move your knee. What did he do? He just moved his he knee just back. moved it. Yeah. We cuffed him, got him up. Hey, you good? You need an ambulance? No, I'm good. No, we're going to call one anyway. Ambulance came, checked him out, put him in the car, took him to the station, processed him. That was that. Actually, he I bonded out. He didn't even didn't even stay in the uh in the jail. So that's when I saw that situation, I'm like, how's that not murder? Regardless of what they say, right? So that's how that situation should have went. I didn't understand why they was even kneeling on him, but then I saw the other video video when they was beating him up in the car. So obviously you got a bunch of stuff going on that's going to play out in the courts. But just from a law enforcement standpoint, that's how they should have handled that. The one in Atlanta, right? What's the big catchphrase? Oh, he had a taser. He had a taser. Do the, do the average person know how a police taser really works? Nah. Like, do you guys know how a police taser works? I don't. No I'll be the first. Yep, I don't. Do you think you could just unlimitedly tase somebody? I thought they were, like, disposable. All right, so you kind of on the song. So you have two cartridges, right? When you shoot it out, the electrodes pierce the, the clothes or the skin if they have a shirt off. And then the electrodes is connected to a cord to the gun. And that's what tases them. That's what shocks them mm-hmm. temporarily. And then be honest with you, I had to do that once. You're actually being tased as an officer because it's running through their body while you're trying to cuff them. So it's not the best feeling for the officer either. But if those electrodes don't hit, nothing. So you have to remove the cartridge and then shoot the next cartridge at them. After that, you're done. Now, you can get up on somebody and use it like a stun gun in the movies, but that's not really effective like that. So if we look at that situation, the guy's running away. A trained officer would have a hard time running and shooting a taser at somebody 
let alone shooting it back over his shoulder. That's what you see coming out the taser is the electrodes flying out. Right. That thing had no shot at being a deadly weapon. Well, people saying, well, if you tase the officer, you know, he could take the gun and shoot him. Yeah, but his other partner was there. And then the guy was a little bit impaired, it looked like. Where is he running to anyway? Right? So what happened was that guy was upset, racist, scared, and felt like he had to impose his will and his power. And when he took off running, like, I dare you run from me. And then he shot him in the back. As somebody that's chased people before, taser, no taser, unless they have a gun in their hand, I don't understand what the shooting is about. I've never understood that. Right. I've only almost shot somebody once, one time. And during that time, I remember my training. We had a person with a gun call. Shorty take off running. He come through an alley. I come up the other side, cut him off. I already had my gun out because it's a person with a gun call. So people always say, why is your gun unholstered? Certain calls is, is coming out. Person with a gun call is coming out. So I get him down. He starts reaching down. Now, by the law, I could have technically shot him. I don't know what he's reaching for, but I remember my training. I wasn't scared. I'm not scared of this kid because he's black or whatever. I said, don't do that. I will shoot you. Show me your hand. He showed me his hand. The officer came out the alley from CPD, the TAC officer, cuffed him, stood him up. He's laying on a 9mm with 30-round clip. I don't know if he was going to reach for it. I don't know if he was going to throw it or what. But that was the only time. And in that situation, I didn't bug out. I remembered the training. So to, you know, sum this all up, and then if you got, you know, one last question, bottom line, the system is not broken. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Law enforcement, remember, started from slave patrols and all that kind of stuff in this country. And that's what you see going on right now. So we're not going to train ourselves out of this. You have to overhaul the whole thing. You have to put people in place who are actual human beings as well as officers. Because I know, and I'll, I'll say this, and for real, you know, I'll let you guys go, but I had a ritual where I didn't wear, like, my uniform pants home or my shirt inside out. I had an outfit I would wear to work and leave my uh, uniform in the locker because when I took that off, I wanted to leave that at work because it was days where I rolled around as because I ended up being a community service officer at the end as well as a patrol officer. I had great days. Mm-hmm. But then it was days when I had to go to that homicide scene. It wasn't great days, so I had to leave the uniform. So that was my way of taking off this uniform, being human again, being Zach again, and now I can go home to my family and my two kids. And Ooh. that's just the way I see it. Wow. Listen, I enjoy, I, I literally enjoy this conversation. and. Tell us your podcast again, because I want to subscribe right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the Off the Glass podcast. Um, my model is fan of no team, but a lover of basketball. And like for example, my last podcast before I did the one with Dr. Johnson, I called it the Jonah Complex. So what yeah. I did was talk about the Last Dance, recap it. While breaking down basketball stuff, but I also dropped a nugget at the end about talking about greatness and how people were hating on Jordan through that podcast, I mean, through that show, because he wanted to be great. They just didn't agree with how he wanted to be great, like this whole thing being liked and all that. And I'm not approving him with some of the things that he may have done off the court 
whatever, whatever, was he the best person? To me, all that didn't matter. But when it came to playing basketball, that man was great. So that's what I do on my podcast. You know, I try to pick themes to talk about certain things. Like off the top of my head, I did, L- is there an L.A. bias? Because it was a push early on for like Anthony Davis to be MVP and defensive player of the year when Giannis was leading in every category on both sides. So, you know, right. I try to do stuff like that, not just getting on there saying uh, James Harden's the best. Like I did a whole podcast asking the question, was James Harden a better scorer than Michael Jordan? Not better scorer. I mean, player, but better score. And I laid out everything. And then at the end, of course, I picked Jordan. But, you know, I try to do those kind of debates that nobody else is doing. So when you come to my podcast, and I've had people tell me this in the street, you know, as a casual fan, like, man, I love your podcast because you gave me stuff I didn't even know about. You know, you try to break the game down. Like, I was a point guard, and I was a cerebral point guard that could pass. So I try to give those kind of insights on my podcast. So it's never going to be – hot takes. Usually when I speak about some, even if you don't agree, you're going to at least say, man, that was a great point because you know it was well thought out and researched. Yep. Yep. Yes, indeed. I just clicked the button. So you got one more today. So we, and then I tell people, you know, if you like videos, you got the audio side and then check out the YouTube page because I'll go back in. I'll add pictures, graphics, stuff like that. So you got the Everything is the Off the Glass Podcast. So the website is WWD Off the Glass Podcast. Twitter, of course, is the Off the Glass. Um, my Instagram is Zach at the Off the Glass Podcast. Follow me over there. On um, the Facebook page is the Off the Glass Podcast. And always, I've been promoting. If you want to become a Patreon, five dollars a month, go to the pay, my Patreon page is the Off the Glass Podcast and support. And um, those who have been rocking with me and supporting me, I, I appreciate. I appreciate Kevin. I appreciate you now, Dwight. And this doesn't have to be the last conversation, man. I love dialogue. You guys seem like some some great brothers from what I've seen, stand-up guys, you know, family men. Just, you know, at the end of the day, I think as, you know, black men and just black people, by and large, like with any group of people, we just want to provide for our family, enjoy life, raise our children. It's not complicated. It's really not this deep. It really isn't. I mean, it is. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but at the end of the day, you know, we just want to be great, <laughs> simple people. Not all this other stuff that's going on. Can I you know, point so, out that I don't you have a five star rating? Does, it, yeah. does everybody know that? Is five that star. Five, five stars on your podcast. Yes. So, yeah. yeah any other? Any last sure. questions you guys want to ask me? Any no, last? Thank questions? you for being here, though. Yeah. Just sure. thank you. Thank you for being on with us. And like I've told you, um, you know, it's truly an honor to to have you on our show. I mean, like I said, for right now, we're small shop, but you know, just like how you know you're going to be um, big in your platform. Um, me personally, I'm not looking to be big in this platform, but if we are big, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> so um, right. we do appreciate you. We do appreciate you a lot. And, you know, this was a great episode. Um, and once again, uh, big ups to, to Thomas uh, as as he's, you know, taking yes, care of yes, uh, family business. Um, and that's a wrap. Uh, I appreciate both of you brothers. And, you know, we'll we'll leave it at that.